and... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Amid wars and rumors of wars, you and I are commanded to do four things in particular. God wants us to do four things in particular. The first thing is to love our Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second thing is to love our neighbor as ourself. The third thing, the third thing is to be holy for he is holy. And the fourth thing is to make disciples. Those are the four things, and uh, today we're going to be talking about making disciples. How do you make disciples amid wars and rumors of wars? How do you make disciples or even keep your focus on making disciples for the kingdom of God when it's the kingdoms of men that are launching firepower at each other and the presidents of the world powers are all speaking and commanding our performance toward them? Well, That's what we're going to talk about here today on Viewpoint, because Jesus said to his disciples, follow me. And if you're his disciple, then you and I are commanded to follow him. But what does that mean? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? It may mean a whole lot of things that you and I have not considered, particularly in the Western world. Our friends in India, our friends in Iran, our friends in Pakistan, our friends in many places of the world understand what it means to follow Jesus in very different ways, more intense ways than we have ever comprehended because they're facing persecution like never before. But in the United States, believe it or not, persecution is rising. Just as anti-Semitism is rising, so is persecution. And it's coming in many different forms, different ways, and it's coming worldwide. That's right. Even to the point where in a so-called free country like Finland, a dear woman is being prosecuted for having the temerity to claim biblical faith. Who would have ever believed such a thing in the so-called free world? But it's happening. And it's in the context, in the context of the degeneration of the free world that you and I are called to portray freedom in Christ by following him. Today on Viewpoint, we have a very special guest. I think this is the first time he's ever joined us here on this program in the last 26 and a half years. J. Lee Grady, I followed him in many different ways over the years. Uh, He's written articles, 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 and uh, many of them are profound. He says he has fire in his bones. And today on Viewpoint, he's joining us here Jay Lee Grady, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, this fire in your bones, uh, you know, uh, if you've got fire in your bones, they could be incinerated, couldn't they? (laughs) Well, you know what I mean. That comes from the prophet Jeremiah. (laughs) And the fire in my bones is the Holy Spirit. So he's he's, uh, living in me and the message that God has given me is burning in me. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, Jeremiah couldn't refrain from speaking. He tried, but he couldn't refrain from speaking because the Word of God was like fire in his bones. And I'm so glad to hear that the fire of God is in your bones. It's in mine. That's why I do what I do. After 20 years of uh, law practice in California, for 26 and a half years, we have been uh, doing this radio program to confront the deepest issues of America's heart and home from God's eternal perspective. All over the world, Jay, we are, or Lee, we are called or being exhorted to become influencers. Influencers without real influence. It's a crazy thing how words are being co-opted today, isn't it? Well, uh, you know, you can either influence for good or you can influence for other reasons. And that's why I believe when Jesus called Peter and he said, follow me, you know, he he finished that sentence by saying, I will make you fishers of men. So he was telling Peter that he was going to, Peter was going to become an influencer, (laughs) But, of course, that influence was going to be for the gospel, and Peter was going to have to go through a process. Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men, which means we're going to have to submit to the process that Jesus puts us through before we can have that influence. Well, in That's fact, discipleship of, is a process, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, there's no such thing as microwave discipleship. I always tell people that it's more like a, a slow cooker. And, Uh you know, God is never in a hurry to make someone in his image. He takes us through all kinds of instruction. He takes us through discipline. He takes us through trials and through wilderness experiences. And we have to go through a lot of things and a lot of training before we can be uh, become the person that he wants us to be and discover uh, the gifts that he wants us to use. Well, the church. But that's been my passion. Go ahead. That's my passion is that I, for the last maybe 25 years, I've just been helping a lot, particularly young people, the young people that God puts in my life. I've been helping them to grow in Christ, but also to learn who they are, who, what their gifts are, so that they can be influencers of their generation and they can lead as many people to Jesus and influence as many people for Jesus as possible. Well, the book you have written, Follow Me, Make Disciples the Way Jesus Did, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the best, maybe the best book I have ever come across concerning this matter of genuine discipleship. And uh, the way you've laid it out, the way you present it, the way uh, you order things, it is... uh, You feel your passion, but you also lay out the vision for each one of us. And uh, it is so critical, so important at this time. And I'm so glad that you did it. It's a gift to the body of Christ as far as I'm concerned. But the interesting thing is, Lee, that Jesus gave a command just before he ascended back to the Father. It's called the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. And he says, go and make disciples teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That has been interpreted generally by the church as go and evangelize the world, teaching them, leading them to make confessions of Christ. 
Right. That's not what that commission's about at all. It's about making disciples, not making babies. When Jesus said those words to his disciples as he was preparing to ascend into heaven, they knew exactly what he meant when he said, go and make disciples, because that's what he had done. Exactly. And they watched him, they watched him do it for three and a half years. He called a small number of, of men to follow him, and he had a small number of women that he trained. And then he had a small group of 70 people that he trained in uh, ministry. Most of Jesus' ministry was with a few that's right. He did He did speak to crowds, but we all know that those crowds didn't necessarily stick around. Well, the master didn't right. devote his time primarily to the masses, but rather he to did. individuals. We're going to talk about that as we get back, friends. Follow me. That's what you and I are exhorted to do. We'll be back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. One of the pillars of Save America Ministries and the Viewpoint Radio broadcast for all of these years has been discipling for destiny. Among other things, that's one of the four pillars, discipling for destiny. Many people, if they have listened to this program over the years, have realized there was something profoundly different about this program, unlike so many Christian programs out there that were issues-oriented. This program is not about information. Oh, we have vast amounts of information, but it's about transformation. That's what the Bible's about. That's what the kingdom of God is about. It's not about information because God never commanded us to be informed, but rather to be transformed, and that by the renewing of our minds, that you and I might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So, one of the comments that we've had over the years is you just can't listen to viewpoint and not be changed. You can't listen and not be changed. Because it's not just about information. It's about change. Change you can really believe in, and that's what discipleship is all about, helping us to follow Jesus. I want to urge you to get a copy of uh, Lee Grady's book, Follow Me, Make Disciples the Way Jesus Did. It's an 18, not actually a $19 book, and it's yours on our website for $14 today. It could not be a better value for you. $14, follow me, making disciples the way Jesus did. Really, this is one of our principal ob- uh, obligations before God. And if there was ever a time that we need to be doing it, it's today, my friends, because time is getting short. Did you know that? Time is short. Just look at what's happening around the world, just as Jesus said it would be before his second coming. So the book, Follow Me, $14 on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org, give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, if we're going to change people for Christ, 
Lee Grady says we must do it the way Jesus did. We have to invest in the few, not in the masses. Well, that just doesn't line up with the American corporate view of churchianity, does it, Lee? <laughs> well, I think everybody out there knows that we've developed a, you know, a system. We've developed a mindset that, you know, Christianity and church is basically a bit a bunch of people going into a building and listening to one person and then we you know we tithe to that church and then we go out and we live our lives and then we come back next Sunday and that pastor teaches us again and it's kind of like he's doing the job of making disciples and we're just sitting there learning mm-hmm. and you know I'm not bashing church I love church I'm a member of the church I believe in church right and I always encourage my disciples to in other words church. you believe in the body of Christ gathered Absolutely, mm-hmm. but but where we where we uh, miss it is thinking somehow that one person standing in front of a crowd is fulfilling the Great Commission, because the the the, the mandate that Jesus gave us was for every one of us to go and make disciples like he did, which might be if you are if you're a school teacher if you are a truck driver if you are a businessman or a businesswoman then in whatever sphere you live in you are influencing people for Christ leading them to Jesus and discipling them right where you are and that's how you actually make a disciple and then if you start making disciples that means that you have become a disciple of Jesus Mm. So we're not going to get the job done if we're just paying one person, a pastor or a staff at a church, we're paying them to do the Great Commission while we just sit in chairs and live our lives. That's not fulfilling the Great Commission. I agree. And I think part of it, a, a huge part of it, is that we have a wrong vision or a wrong view of uh, what Jesus was looking for, what it means to, shall we say, do church. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think it goes like this. Jesus said, I'll build my church. You make disciples. But we decided to build churches and have done a terrible job at making disciples. Therefore, we actually substituted our own viewpoint for God's viewpoint, and uh, then we can't figure out why it is that all of the so-called real ministry of the church is delegated to two or three people. Exactly. And, you know, um, I, I do bring some pretty strong criticism in the book to the system that we've created. But on the other hand, I do want to also say that I, I have been very encouraged as I go out and I see um, what's happening in the church, particularly as, as we have walked through the pandemic, and we've had to sort of in, in some ways prune a lot of other things out. We've had to strip some things down because for a while we weren't even really meeting. Are you suggesting the pandemic was God-breathed? <laughs> well, you know, I do believe that God can use anything for our good, and you know, I know that a virus that kills people is not something good, but Romans eight twenty eight promises me that God can take 
all things and work them together for the good of those who love God. And mm-hmm. so somehow in the midst of this crisis, it has forced us to get back to some basics. And I'm finding that more and more pastors that I know, and some of my best friends are pastors, they are discovering that relational discipleship is really what New Testament Christianity is all about, and that we've got to get back to that. Well, it's interesting because the Apostle Peter uh, said that uh, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, use hospitality without grudging. It's the only place in the Bible we're called to use something. And uh, we're told that you can't really be a true follower of Jesus Christ without being hospitable. The Apostle Paul uh, warned Timothy that uh, he who uh, would be a bishop or a leader in the body of Christ must be hospitable or given to hospitality, he said. He said the same thing to Titus, it must be a lover of hospitality. And then in Romans chapter 12, uh, delineating the essentials of the Christian life, said all of us must be given to hospitality. Not gifted in, but given to hospitality. It's fascinating because uh, hospitality implies an open heart, open hand, and an open home given to relationship, which is absolutely essential for genuine discipleship, isn't it? Right, and when I when I talk to some pastors, over the past maybe 15 years, I've, mm-hmm. I've actually heard some leaders tell me, well, I don't really like people. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, and I'm like, well, what are you doing this for? Because ministry was never, in the Bible, it was never about preaching, uh, programs, you know, building mm-hmm. a ministry vision. That's not ministry. Ministry is serving people. Yes. Ministry is all about people. And if you're, if you are in ministry and you don't love people, then I would say you know you need to go find a different profession. Right. But but this is what we are all called to do. And and you can't become a disciple maker if you aren't relational. If you don't have room in your heart for people, you have to. You know, uh, Peter also said that we were to be fervent in our love for one another. And I, I learned that that word fervent um, in the Greek can also mean stretched. And to be fervent in our love for people, that means we're going to have to stretch our hearts bigger so that we can basically adopt people into our lives, bring them into our lives, um, you know, listen to their pains, counsel them through their problems, coach them through their struggles, and that's what discipleship involves. Well, there's nothing more rewarding, fulfilling. Uh, That's what Jesus did. In fact, the Scripture says he chose 12 to be with them. And that's often missed, I think. It's been something that we've been saying here on this program for 20 years. Jesus chose 12 to be with him. And yet right. what we have done is designed what I call a do-it-to-you ministry than in a do-it-with-you ministry. Right. He said I, he called them to be with them and to send them out to preach and cast out demons. And we put that first. We just want to send somebody to a seminary to sit in a class and learn how to preach uh, or how to do you know, the work 
of uh, of building a church of corporate but, pastorship, but not the relationship. Mm-hmm. The relationship has got to be first. Yeah. Well, Jack Hayford joined me on this program about uh, 15 years ago to uh, discuss our book, The Power of Hospitality, that my wife and I uh, wrote. And uh, he was sharing uh, experiences from his own pastorship there in uh, Southern California and how the assistant pastors and so on in his congregation uh, were so baffled that he would bring them into his own house. Uh, he said, this has never happened before. And uh, so, <laughs> but, but ministry is about people. And I'm so glad to, uh, to see uh, the, you've, you've made first things first, the main thing, the main thing in your book. But you also have uh, showed us what is it that's inhibiting us from uh, obeying God in this matter of discipleship. And then what is it inspires us? How do we now proceed to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves? So what I'd like to do is uh, take your, I think you have seven points about why we don't make disciples. And one of them is we're ignorant of the Great Commission. We've kind of talked about that because the Great Commission is not about making babies. It's about making disciples, teaching people to obey God, isn't it? Exactly. And your average Christian today does not understand what that really means to make a disciple. We have, and, and the reason is because our, for the most part, many, many leaders didn't see it themselves. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. they're just sort of, in a sense, we're, we're the blind leading the blind. Because we in other words, the pastors weren't discipled themselves. And, and neither are many of us, therefore, we just don't see the need for it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my experience is that I was discipled when I was a teenager very, very intentionally by a young man who was a young minister in his uh, 20s. And for three years, that, that young man poured his life into me and taught me everything he knew about following Jesus. And, you know, then when I got to college, I began making disciples even as a young man in college because that's what I knew. That's what I had seen. So you were following him as he followed Christ. Exactly. And it was a while before I realized, hey, you know what? Most Christians I know didn't have that experience. They didn't have a very St. Clair in their life like I did. Mm-hmm. I just took it for granted that this is how it works. But, you know, this is how it was in the early church, is that I believe pretty much everybody was discipled. And so they knew that that was what they were called to do, was go out and do the same thing. Yeah, but in reality, that isn't that isn't really understood, and it certainly isn't being implemented. Uh, one of the reasons for that, I think, is that the word obey has become a four-letter word in the church. In fact, I've had, Lee, uh, many, many a pastor and parachurch leader on this program over the past 10 years who have admitted that the word obey is the most hated word in the church today. Uh, That being the case, uh, we can well understand why uh, there might be resistance to teaching people to obey everything that God has commanded. Yeah, everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everything. (laughs) Not picking and choosing, yeah. Okay, 
you say another reason why uh, we don't uh, get involved in discipleship is we prefer programs rather than relationships or rather than people. Nothing could be further from the truth. Why do right. we prefer we just, programs? We just become very professional, very clinical about what we do, and so it just becomes dry. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of churches, when you say the word discipleship, uh, it's not a word that everybody gets excited about because they think you mean a class on Wednesday right. night. Or or, or actually a, a church catechism uh, about the, the denomination's uh, uh, statement of faith or something. Yeah, and even, you know, I have people all the time, they know that I make disciples. They know that I spend a lot of my time with young adults. And so they want to know, well, what uh, what did you use? They think I'm just basically using a book mm-hmm. or uh, some kind of Bible study. Now, well, we're going to pick up on that after this break. Again, we're following Jesus, friends. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. You have Walmart, Sam's Club, Costco, and mega churches, all part of big box living today, where you find almost no relationship, but you just sort of get the job done quick and as cheaply as possible. Is that how we're supposed to live the Christian life? Is that what we're called to do and to be? Why are we so impressed with size? That seems to be the hallmark of success in the church. You ask a pastor, oh, how many people do you have? What's your membership? And what's your budget? Those are the two things that they all want to compete about in the lust and lasciviousness of Christian ministry. Why? Lee, are we so addicted to size? Well, in my book, I... I didn't I put that any any too clearly, did I? <laughs> <laughs> I take us back to Genesis 11, which, you know, we all know the story of the Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think a lot of times we read that story and we think of, you know, communism, we think of socialism, we think of all the evil things that are out there in the world. And, and certainly that does relate to that. But I also see this heart issue, this heart problem uh, can be even in, in us, in the church. 
because the motive of the people who built the Tower of Babel was they wanted to build a monument to themselves. Mm-hmm. It was all about pride. It was about what we can do. And it was building this tall, vertical tower that we can all see and we can be impressed with. Um, and I've, I've looked at that story in a different light recently because I see that sometimes that's how we build the kingdom. That's how we try to build the church. I think you're right. In a, in a very carnal way. Jesus didn't build a monument. Uh, he built people, and then he told them to go out. He didn't call them, tell them all, stay in Jerusalem and build a big building that everybody mm-hmm. can come to and see, and everybody will know how great you are. He, sent, he scattered them to the nations so that they would go out and spread the kingdom of God horizontally. And so what I am always encouraging Christian leaders to do is to be thinking about how are you building? Are you building up or are you building out? Because mm. the kingdom of God is always built out. Well, you I know, told you, Lee, that uh, this book, uh, this is a profound book. Uh, this is a book that every pastor should read, every parachurch reader should read, and every true follower of Jesus Christ should be reading for such a time as this, because we're living in a time in which if we don't understand this uh, command of Christ to make disciples, not to make of, uh, you know, little tin soldiers, and not to make people who just confess their faith so that you can put a notch in your ministry belt and claim uh, what a good boy you've been. This is about a... a, a a demand that requires patience for the process, and that's one of the reasons why people won't get involved in discipleship, because it doesn't happen instantly. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, I still have some hair left, but I know that a lot I of I noticed time, over the time it's been receding, though. It has. As, has, as, as has mine. <laughs> some, one of the reasons is because sometimes when you're discipling uh, young people, young adults, you uh, you have some moments where you want to pull your hair out because, you know, uh, disciples, we're making disciples, but they're not going to always uh, do the exact right thing we want them to do. They're not going to always make us proud. But, you know, that was the, that was the case with Jesus. Well, I he mean, had Jesus. sons of thunder that he was discipling. <laughs> <laughs> he did, and they were all works in progress. And, you know, Peter, he, he called to himself and said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And that certainly did happen to Peter. He became a, a, an amazing preacher. He preached on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people were saved. But, you know, he went through some stuff before that. And he denied Jesus. And he put his foot in his mouth many, many times. But and, you notice when Peter preached on Pentecost, uh, it wasn't a seeker-sensitive message. It was a discipling message. It was. It confronted and, the uh, the people that thought they were the true followers of God. And I'm sure the fact that he had just been filled with the Holy Spirit had a lot to do with that, because if our preaching was more dependent on the Holy Spirit's power, I think we'd see New Testament results. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, the, the result of all that, it was amazing, the fruit that came out of Peter's life, but... He had some down moments, and I think 
that I've met a lot of leaders who don't like discipling people because they just don't like the disappointments. They don't like the, uh, you know, the calls in the middle of the night or the difficult times that their disciples go through or the fact that sometimes our disciples actually walk away and betray Jesus and betray us Mm -hmm. and get mad at us. Or we want instant gratification. Yeah, those are all the things that we're going to have to be willing to do if we're going to get this job done. Well, another reason why uh, we may be intimidated from uh, truly making disciples is our own sin. Uh, You call Mm -hmm. it our personal brokenness, but what we're really talking about is sin that is being perpetuated in our lives and uh, that is a pretty intimidating if we haven't dealt with it. Sure. I mean, you know, we have, I've worked with a lot of young adults and a lot of young men that I've worked with. They struggle with, you know, lust issues. They struggle mm-hmm. with pornography. And if, if a leader is not willing to deal with those things in his own life, but sometimes it's because we're engaged in that sin, and sometimes it's also just out of religiosity. We don't like to talk about those things. But you're not going to be able to disciple a person and help them get free from a life-controlling habit if you are bound by that habit, mm. or if you don't, or if you're not willing to get in there, roll up your sleeves, and get in the in the gory mess mm. of that stuff and listen to the confessions and offer the counsel that that person needs. We're going to have to be willing to, uh, you know, get our hands dirty with all this. You know, the last of the items that you list uh, that prevent people from, or even pastors from truly getting involved in making disciples is one of the most challenging. And people never think about this, but I've been writing about this for over 20 years now. And you say, we want churchgoers to stay immature. Exactly. That's one of the biggest problems with big box ministry. Uh, Pastors are afraid of truly discipling or mentoring uh, people to become, uh, even to replace them, to become more profound and proficient than they are. And so what the, the idea is, Lord, we'll we'll just keep them at at a certain level. We'll let them become teenagers, but that's as far as we're going to let them go. <laughs> yes, and I would say that this is not just a problem in the large churches. I've been in small churches where the pastors or the leadership didn't want the people to grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a this is a problem. You know, I compare it to my own family. I raised four daughters, and of course. You know, they started out as babies, and then they become teenagers, and then every one of my daughters ended up going to college. Uh, after they graduated from college, they got jobs, and now they have their own uh, husbands and their own families, and they don't live with me anymore. They moved out, and they right. pay for their own bills. That's how it's supposed to work in the in the family. My, I don't want my children living with me when they're 35 and, uh, you know, having to, uh, me having to feed them. That's not the way it's supposed to work. Well, Lee, unfortunately, that has become an earmark for the entire (laughs) Western society. There's a name that sociologists call that, that is the uh, failure to launch. Yes, 
we're aware of that. Well, we have the failure to launch in the church now. Exactly. Only sometimes we're so used to it, and or maybe we even encourage it, because a lot of pastors don't want their people growing up and leaving. But, you know, if you grow up and you become a mature disciple and you discover your ministry, you might go somewhere else and plant a church somewhere, or you might, uh, I mean, not everybody is called full-time ministry if they're in uh, the business world, you know, they'll probably stay in your church and do their ministry in the business world. But we're supposed to grow up and and make disciples outside the context of just where we are. Mm-hmm. The whole point is that the kingdom of God is to expand. So Not in that, one sense, all of us are called to full-time ministry. It's just that we absolutely. do it through different avenues. Uh, for instance, for 20 years, I was a trial lawyer in California. Well, as a trial lawyer in California, that opened up avenues for me, uh, not only within the practice itself, but beyond that in the entire Southern California area to the point where I was able to speak more often than my pastor uh, father. Uh, Absolutely. So, yeah. And we shouldn't, as leaders, we shouldn't be threatened by that. I was in a church this past weekend in South Carolina, and I met this wonderful African-American woman who... Uh, she had been through hell and back in her past. She had been uh, a drug addict. She'd actually been a drug dealer. Uh, she, you know, just her her life was uh, a mess. So and she should she, surely know how to disciple people then. She <laughs> discipled them in drugs. Now she can she disciple did. him the Holy Spirit. And then she found Jesus, and then she got plugged into a church. She is She has been discipled. And now, guess what she's doing? She started a ministry to reach underprivileged single moms who Mm. are struggling out there in the streets of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Mm. And she's going to be building a a shelter for them and uh, getting people to help her to help these women. That's what she, that's her ministry. Yeah. Well, so she's going to be able to disciple them uh, in a way that you and I could never do. Friends, the, the book is Follow Me, Make Disciples the Way Jesus Did. It's a $18, $19 book here for $14. On our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You do not want to miss this book. It is terrific. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. The early church was born in the womb of Holy Spirit-inspired hospitality. You find it right there in Acts chapter 4. 
And we laid out that in this uh, little piece uh, during the uh, break there. Uh, Lee, I'm thinking back, uh, oh, it's probably about 15 years ago now, when uh, I wrote a feature piece for Ministry Today magazine. Uh, That's before you guys changed the name of it. And uh, uh, it was concerning this matter of hospitality among Christian leaders. Uh, And that has become almost a lost art. In fact, uh, Christianity Today, about uh, 18 years ago, had a feature article called Whatever Happened to Hospitality? So, uh, (laughs) you know, this is a serious problem since it's supposed to be one of the key characteristics of the true relational uh, role of professing Christians. So we see Acts chapter 4 setting forth what that looks like. How is it that we've come away so far from that? Well, I think that there's actually, um, there's been a breakdown in our society as far as relationships goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's it's actually very common among men that men uh, in general have, struggle with just having friendships mm-hmm. in my book in my book i talk about you know all these shootings these mass shootings that we've had over the last several decades and that usually the the typical person who carried one of those uh one of those shootings out was a what we would call a loner and we it just was fatherless fatherless and because they didn't have the love of a family and mm-hmm. the love of a community, they weren't able to show love. Right. And, you know, we have the same problem in the church today. Yep. And this breakdown, you know, I can't tell you how many young adults I meet who tell me how lonely they are. They spend most of their time on social media or watch, playing video games or being at home. And, our, and you know, our, the statistics of uh, lonely people in America is astronomical right now, and doctors are even saying that loneliness is actually a uh, it's a very unhealthy thing. It actually in fact it's deadly health problems. Yeah, they even they, they have even compared loneliness to smoking as that kind of impact mm-hmm. on your body. It's amazing, isn't it? And yet the church, uh, the body of Christ, should be just that a body. And uh, uh, we have got to understand that if we're going to truly make disciples, genuine disciples, it's going to be in the context of meaningful relationship, not do-it-to-you ministry. Uh, Like you say in your book, uh, Chapter 7, The Six Eyes of Discipleship, discipleship is not a class. And that's true. Now, you might be able to inform people about some things about God, you might be able to inform people about your church doctrine and so on, but that's not really the fullness of discipleship, is it? No, it's all about connecting with someone and getting involved with them in their life, being a friend to them, and then through that relationship, you're introducing them to faith and to uh, letting them see how Jesus has changed you. That's what happened with me and my mentor, Barry. When I, I told you about the young man who discipled me when I was a, a high school student, right. is that he opened up his home, and we had what he called a discipleship group 
in his home on a Tuesday night that I went to his home every Tuesday night for three years. Mm. And he had it in his, in the basement of his house in Atlanta. And there were ten, uh, nine other guys. We went there, you know, we've drank Pepsi. We had Cheetos and we had a Bible lesson with him, but we were his friends and we didn't, we wanted to be there. We had a blast with him and with each other. And Barry also took me on ministry trips so that I could see what ministry is all about. So and he was, was following the Paul model, follow me as I follow Christ. Absolutely. And I learned that model from him, and now that's what I do with the guys that I decide. Well, maybe a lot of people say, well, I, I, how can I ask people to follow me because I don't really feel that I'm following Jesus that much? What would you say? Well, what you have to do is you, you can't. You can't say to somebody, follow me, until you are following Christ. I mean, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. So just making so, a profession in Christ doesn't qualify you in and of itself for making disciples. It's time to get on with it and become a doer of the Word and not just a hearer. We have to go through the discipleship process so that we can become disciple makers. Mm-hmm. We certainly don't want to be making disciples if we haven't become disciples ourselves. Because then we're going to disciple them the wrong way in the, into things that, uh, in fact, the, the reality is that we are all making an impression, aren't we? And we it, have it's impossible Peter. not to disciple somebody, in a sense, because somebody's always watching you. Well, we have leaders today who have, you know, abandoned the faith, and they're still in pulpits. Mm-hmm. And they're they're preaching a, a, a false compromise message, and some people are following them. Yeah. So I mean, and of course, Paul had a lot to say about that. Too. Well, he sure did. He said that would be one of the premier characteristics of the end times. Peter talked about it as well. Exactly. Okay. So, now you you say that there are six eyes of discipleship. Some of this is a little bit redundant, but I like the way you put this, and I think it's inspiring. It helps us to kind of distill something uh, quickly. The first is to identify, and that uh-huh. that there there are, uh, six eyes. The first is identify. Jesus called his disciples to be with him, so he identified with them. Then with them the next one was invest. This is a big one. It's spelled, well, how do you spell invest? It starts with T. T-I-M-E. <laughs> T-I-E, exactly. There is no cannot, such thing as investing without giving time. Right, and that's the that's the big stumbling block for a lot of people. Oh, it sure is. They say, well, I can't do that because I have a busy job or I have, uh, you know, a, a, a big family or there's all these reasons why we can't obey the Great Commission. Uh, I always tell people, if you're too busy to make disciples, then you're just too busy. Well, you know, discipleship begins at home, though. And one of the biggest problems with families breaking apart and marriages breaking apart is the refusal to give time. And when you don't give time, you don't give yourself. Exactly. So, yeah, we we need to make our kids the priority uh, as far as discipleship. And then, you know, I didn't, I was not, Uh, as engaged with discipling young adults when I had young children as I am now, Mm -hmm. because I did have to spend so much time with my kids. Well, you were discipling Uh, them. That was your premier responsibility. Exactly. 
But we can't just keep using that as an excuse that we don't have time. Exactly. Okay. The third I is to include. Uh, Mm -hmm. Jesus was very inclusive, but he was also exclusive. (laughs) But when Jesus would go out and do ministry, he didn't just show up and preach a sermon and vanish like Mm -hmm. we have a lot of preachers could do today. Yeah, they they might even vanish with their uh, bodyguards. I have uh, been in many churches where the pastor shows up after the worship and then disappears. Uh, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus always had a team with him, and when he ministered, he did it in front of them. He was training them while he was ministering. They were watching the miracles because he knew that they were going to do the same things one day. All right, so that brings us to instruct. Uh, That's the fourth I. And you can't be a lifelong disciple, a faithful disciple, if you're not being instructed and a student of the Word. Yeah, there's no way that we're going to make disciples without the Bible. So, you know, it doesn't have to be in a classroom. Right. Um, In fact, it it never is for me. I mean, I've done seminars. I've done all every kind of format. But my most effective moments with my disciples is just going to be when well, I did some uh, pretty heavy-duty discipleship with uh, uh, my grandsons, my oldest grandsons. I uh, mentored them in doing uh, work in the yard and training them to do various kinds of things, and in the process also conveyed to them spiritual principles and understanding life, and uh, it has helped them to, to actually make application of the Word in ways that uh, seem kind of baffling to most people. Absolutely. So the instruct is just simply that we get the word into them. Into them. Mm-hmm. Intercede. We need to intercede. That that's uh, we're praying. We're carrying them on our hearts. Right. And what I always tell people is, don't just talk to your disciples about God, but talk to God about your disciples. Mm, very good. And, and the sixth I, one is to impart, and that has that's not about information. That's about your very life, isn't it? Yes, and it's also very much something that's driven and engineered by the Holy Spirit. When Paul was with Timothy, or when he was with the Romans, he told the Romans, I long to be with you so that I might impart some spiritual gift to you. He knew that when he went to see them, they were going to be changed, not because he was such a great guy, but because the Holy Spirit was working through him, mm-hmm. and either he was uh, laying hands on them, praying for them, giving them some revelation, there was something supernaturally powerful that came forth out of Paul into those people that changed them forever. And any good disciple maker is going to have impartation into the lives of those that, are, that he or she is training. Well, friend, do you want to make a difference? I mean, change you can really believe in. This is how to do it. This is the Jesus model. Follow me. Then the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what you and I should be saying as well. Follow me as I follow Christ. That requires that you and I be involved affirmatively every day with a heart of discipleship, of preparing people 
And here, as we're nearing the, uh, the second coming of Christ, it involves preparing people for that coming, preparing the way of the Lord. That's another way of saying it. we're preparing the way of the Lord. Uh, do you think this discipleship thing has uh, a heavy-duty significance right now, Lee? Do I think that it has significance? Heavy-duty significance, I, even as we I, see the Lord's coming sooner and sooner. I think that, you know, we're not going to get the job done that Jesus told us to do until we do it his way. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, the if we start now making disciples like Jesus told us to, and it be, and if it became a movement, which that's what my prayer is, um, then I think we are going to finish the job. That's well, my goal. As far as I'm concerned, this is the kind of book that every pastor should have, every Sunday school teacher, every small group leader should have, every man, every woman who professes to be a follower of Christ should have, This is a book, friends, that we need to have engraved. The message of this book needs to be engraved on the tablets of our hearts. Follow me, making disciples the way Jesus did. It's a $19 book, yours for $14. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. Again, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And I want to urge you to become a partner with us, friends. Have you noticed we don't have any commercial support for this program? There's a reason for that. And it's not because there's some huge big box church back there that's financing with deep pockets. No. This is about the kingdom of God. This is about preparing people. This is about discipling for destiny. It's about wooing and warning God's people. This is the ultimate moment of truth. We're in the valley of decision. What we do today will determine destiny for many. So become a partner with us. Go to our website, saveus.org. Make your generous gift there. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. And uh, I believe that the Lord will bless you. We're not going to make promises as to what we're going to give you. God has promised to bless a cheerful giver. Is that you? Thanks for joining us here today on Viewpoint. Lee, you're a blessing. Thank you for uh, the gift that you've given to the body of Christ. And uh, friends, let's follow Jesus. Let's follow Jesus and let others follow us as we follow him. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.